Hey everybody, this is Warren Sharp, NFL analyst over at Sharp Football Analysis. I want to welcome you to the Ringer Gambling Show. Join me on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays each week during the NFL season with guests Chris Vernon, Ben Solak, and Joe House to guide you through the NFL betting landscape. We'll be talking spreads, game totals, parlays, player props, futures, and much, much more. Be sure to follow the Ringer Gambling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Full Goal presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every, that's right, every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Chicago everywhere, check it. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Goal with Jason Golf, presented by The Ringer. A Spotify original. Yeah, yeah. Listen, Bears fans, I know you're upset. I know you're worried. I know you're angry. I know you're doing all the things that we do to ourselves after every Bears-Packers game, which is usually a loss. I believe 21 out of the last 25 times we've watched this matchup has been a loss. But guess what, man? The offense don't score any damn points. And for all those people out there who say the defense doesn't show up when it matters, and then the same people who are celebrating the defense over the last couple of weeks, hey, whatever you want to feel. In the end, number 12 was better than number one. Uh, their coaching staff seemingly was better than the Bears coaching staff. It's as simple as that. Sometimes you get beat by a better team, and that's what happened. Now, if you want to argue with me that this team wasn't as good as you thought they were, and then the next step is that the Bears might have been able to sneak one out, you're damn right about that. You're right. Uh, let's just start with the people who did their jobs today. Uh, Robert Quinn again, uh, Khalil Mack again, hell, Akeem Hicks out there on a, on a bad groin. And we saw after that set, maybe, maybe the key for Akeem was not to get to the quarterback because the moment he did, you saw him pull up lame. He couldn't even get his real celebration on immediately. He grabbed his crotch, like, you know, like something bad had happened or he had a bad weekend somewhere that he shouldn't have been. But man, I'm sitting in the cut, like, all right, this, this is a close ball game. And then you get in the half and, and a penalty wipes points off the board. There's timeouts and spot challenges and all kinds of foolery going. Like, this was a weird Bears-Packers game. But in the end, Aaron Rodgers was just good enough. 
He made just enough throws. There was a moment where apparently Devontae Adams wasn't the best receiver in the world, and Eddie Jackson got his eyes crossed up and going the other way. This is the other thing, too. Shout out to Robert Quinn. Shout out to Khalil Mack. Shout out to... Uh, who else did I say? Akeem Hicks, right? Roquan Smith played well. He didn't play a you know a, a ridiculously pro bowlish type of game, but he played well enough. Man, that secondary though, whoo! <laughs> that that secondary is uh, it got me back to Week One vibes, where I'm like, what the hell is going on back there? And on top of it, on top of it, the guys that you are paying the most money to, those are the people that I am most. Uh, the magnifying glass is on them. This ain't on Kendall Vildor, and this ain't on Duke Shelley. This ain't on them dudes. No, this is on Eddie Jackson, right? This is on Matt Nagy. This is on the the, the principal and usual suspects when the Bears lose or win. Because when Eddie Jackson makes plays, we can't wait to celebrate him. But there wasn't a moment, a moment in this game where I saw a man who's playing deep safety come downhill and stick his nose in the run game. Not a moment. Whether it be Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, you know, if, if if you got guys running for what? I think they combine for like a buck 30 or something like that, a buck 40. If that's happening, I need my safety down there blowing things up. Deshaun Gibson is a, a closer to the box safety, but neither one of these guys were, were you know, in the box creating havoc. And and if you ain't going to do that and not make any plays on the ball, then there's issues. This team has to get turnovers because they're going through a growth uh, phase or a growing phase with their quarterback and that offense. And the offense is, is trash. Um Bill Lazor calling plays in a scheme that might be faulty is still going to yield you minimal results. There are 98 points scored by this team. Jason Leisure, by the way, who is doing a terrific job on the Bears beat. Jason Leisure tweeted out that we are in week six of the NFL season. The Bears have scored 98 points. 98. Over half of his games, I believe, as a coach of the Chicago Bears, the Bears have been below 21 points. This is a league now where, you know, Back in our old days, back back in the, the early aughts, the early 2000s, where all you got to do is hold them to 17. Now, all you got to do is hold teams to 21, and you're looking at your offense like, what the hell are you going to do? And the Bears offense is always looking back at you like, nope, right back to you. It's kind of like that Super Bowl <laughs> halftime, you know, blackout in New Orleans when everybody's playing, you know, hot potato with, with, with the live microphone and, and at the halftime show trying to figure out, all right, Beyonce made the lights go out. We got to stay here for more minutes than we have to. Back to you. No, back to you. The Bears offense is always looking at the Bears defense and special teams like, no, back to you. And the Bears offense is, is the main culprit. That's it. Khalil Herbert, I would have loved to see him get more than, you know, the, what, 19 touches that he got for 97 yards, something like that. Yeah, I, I, 30 dropbacks for Justin Fields feels about right, but there's some things that the young man has to learn. Uh, <clears throat> him holding on to the ball too long is a thing. He's always trying to and, – and I don't think it's a processing thing. And I said this, I believe, last part of the pod before that. I don't think it's a processing thing. I think it's a, a big gambler type of thing. I think this is a dude who's, who's trying to look for six on every play. Instead of, as Trent Dilfer said on the Ryan Russillo podcast, take the cheese every once in a while. And this is the other part of taking the cheese. Man, outside of Darnell Mooney, I don't know who's getting open for you or getting open and running with the ball for, for long periods of time. And the football after show on NBC Sports Chicago with Alex Brown, Lance Briggs, and uh, Olin Krutz, our guys, all guys who have appeared here on the Full Go podcast, pointed it out. There ain't a lot of dudes who are just taking that thing and running it. 
There ain't a lot of slant routes that you take into the crib because you're just faster or you're just that much better than the people that are guarding you. And I like Allen Robinson, but Allen Robinson is a possession receiver. Let's let's be real about it. Allen Robinson isn't a deep threat. Yes, he catches some passes that are deeper down the field. There were a couple of moments today, too, where on the scramble drill, they were on the wrong page. They weren't on the same page together, he and Justin Fields. And one of them uh, resulted in an interception in the back of the end zone, which pretty much was sort of like a punt on third down. But, you know, you – you want to give yourself another chance to score, you know. If 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 those guys are on the same page down the middle of the field on a scramble drill, you know th- there might be a chance for you to get three or I don't know even six. Uh, but this is the issue. These are the issues that Bears fans have. We're watching the team try to evaluate and develop a quarterback while maybe the scheme is faulty. And when when Ben Sloak came on this show and said that. The difference between Andy Reid and all the people on the Andy Reid tree is that Andy Reid knew how to counterpunch in a season once once teams started to see tape, started to figure out what they were doing offensively, he knew what to do. I think a lot of these guys who have been in the Andy Reid tree, whether it be uh, Doug Peterson or you know some of these other cats, including Matt Nagy, yeah, they, they have some ex- success uh, initially, but... When that second season rolls around, or hell, sometimes in that first season when there's a counterpunch, because NFL teams love to see what you got. Ask Chip Kelly. Got his ass right up on out the league. They love to see it that first time. Like, oh, okay, yeah, we got you. All right, we'll watch what happens at the end of this year or even next year when we got a little bit more tape on it and we put the best athletes uh, in the world to work. You know, remember the Wildcat offense, guys? Yeah, how long did that last? With, with Ricky Williams and who is it? Ronnie Brown and Cadillac Anderson and Auburn, and I believe they ran a little bit of it in, in Miami for the Dolphins when Ricky Williams was there. Yeah, enjoy your, your Wildcat offense while we beat the shit out of your quarterback every single time out here on the wide receiver. You know what I mean? So in the end, this offense has struggled. I don't need to 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 trust in a person whose results uh, aren't sufficient, right? There's this whole vibe or this feeling that, hey, man, you know, Matt Nagy, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. This offense is trash. It's all, if you hold Aaron Rodgers to 200 yards passing and two touchdowns, you're supposed to win that game. Simple as that. You're supposed to win that damn game. And that's what happened. They held Aaron Rodgers down for as long as they could. He had two touchdowns. He had one rushing. But 24 points against the Green Bay Packers, I go into a game taking that. But you can't take it when you're the Bears offense. The Bears offense can't score. Uh, The kid is out there (laughs) at times running for his life and at times putting his life in jeopardy in a way that I'm not happy with. If this continues, my man is going to be down by week nine. And I hate to say it like that, but he's taking too many hits. And I know he's a cool, calm customer, and I know he's a tough kid, but he's a grown-ass man with kids and, 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 and relationship issues and, and, you know, all kinds of things going on at home. Like, he's a big, angry-ass man. So in the end, you can't take those hits. You, you got to let go of the football. They don't want the ball. I mean, they don't want you. They want the ball, I should say. He's got to understand that. He's got to take some of the the shorter things. And speaking of the shorter things, is Jimmy Graham uh, playing football this year? Is he on this team? Because last year, I remember him being the guy who caught eight touchdown passes. And this year, I don't remember him being on the field much. I know he's been injured. I know he's been banged up. But Cole Komet is out there doing what he can. This – you, you, you're trying too many things in in the midst of trying to develop a quarterback instead of having, and this is why, if Justin Fields would have started the beginning of this season, you'd have taken some of these lumps and he'd be, I don't know, two, three games ahead of where he is right now. But instead, you're wasting decent enough defensive efforts. 
defense. And that's even with Eddie Jackson playing the way he's playing right now. That's even with some of the woes in the, in the secondary. So, yeah, this is this is what you get. You're a 3-3 three and three football team, which is, uh, I think, better than I would have thought going into this, uh, going into week seven against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But this is who you are. The Bears offense can't score. It's the same old song and dance that it's been for a very long time in this city. And all we have is three or four outlier years for the last 2025. I'm tired of still thinking about Jeff Graham and Curtis Conway both going for 1,000 yards and how that made me ooh and ah as a kid. You know, I'm tired of looking at 1,200-yard rushers like, oh, look at that. You had one of those at least. No, 30 points a game is what it takes to be a perennial playoff and Super Bowl contender in this league. The reason why Sean Payton and Drew Brees are going to the Hall of Fame together is because they put up points. Not just because they're great play caller and great talent. It's because they put up points no matter what. There's a certain amount that you are going to have to score to beat the Saints or to beat the, you know, when Tom Brady was airing it out with Randy Moss. Beat those Patriots. There are certain dynamic offenses that are just dynamic because of the play caller. There's certain dynamic offenses that are dynamic because of the execution of the talent at some point the Bears can jump on in the ring at being one of those dynamic football teams but for the foreseeable future you'll still be owned by one Aaron Rodgers Matt Nagy spoke to the assembled media and he talked about Aaron Rodgers and a whole bunch of other things let's give it a listen Tanny Aaron Rodgers scrambled for the touchdown at the end of the game he looked into the crowd and he said I still own you no, I just think uh, for us, we worry about what we do. And, uh, you know, I didn't see any of that or, or anything like that. And for me, my biggest thing right now is just making sure that whatever we can do to get better and win every game, including Green Bay, we need to do it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> whatever you say, Maddie. Uh, yeah. Aaron Rodgers can pop that shit because he, he's living it. Right. Like, don't we hate the rappers who we know are broke as hell but always talking about Lear Jets and all that? You know why Drake is hated by so many people? Because his lifestyle is envied by so many people. And you may not like the fact that he, you know, doesn't write his rhymes and all this other stuff. All that all that semantics to me. The man makes decent enough music that I could vibe to. But, yeah, you could pop that when you are that. So Aaron Rodgers can say whatever he wants to Bears fans and to, to you know, Bears players alike. He, he can say that. Why can't he say that? I still own you is very, very true. And, and please don't be in this city talking crazy about somebody not having sportsmanship. Stop it. We watched Michael Jordan for years pretty much say that and do that with all of his actions. So let's not do that. Let's not be those guys and girls out here who are lamenting the fact that a, a player who has kicked the shit out of your team for the last decade is saying that, hey, I kicked the shit out of your team for the last decade. He can say it. You know, it's, it's, it's one of two things you could do in that moment. Respect it or check it. And the Bears haven't checked it in a good decade and a half. It's the full go, This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Bears talk with Jason Goff on the full goal. And the kick is good for the win. Fade to black. Brought to you by The Ringer, a Spotify original. 
You think they hate me now? Wait till they hear this shit. You like winners, man. I get it. Oh, all right. Let's cut this shit out. All right. yeah, we, that, that's the start of the podcast right here. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> joining the Full Go podcast right now with me, Jason Goff, is Mark Tauscher, uh, ex-Green Bay Packer, uh, you know, one of those those big uglies in the trenches who just mauled Bears defenders time after time again. He blocked for Aaron Rodgers. He's seen a lot of these Bears Packers game. Mark, thank you so much for jumping on with us. Appreciate your time. Uh, let, let's go back in the annals. Um, at last 25 games, the Packers are 21-4 and four against the Chicago Bears. That's we good, talk, right? Is, uh, is that good? I'm... Mark, Mark, we're not bringing you on here to do this shit, man. <laughs> you okay, got, you, well. You got you well, to be Jason, an impartial I, observer. Jason, I know it's your show, but I also did a little extra research for you just to make sure since Brett Favre in 1992, it's 45 and 15. Just, you know, just to add a little fuel to the Bears fire. Uh, so 45 and 15. And now I think we have a seven or eight game lead franchise wise. Just, you know, I love bringing research to your show. All right, it's been it's been fun, man. Thank you so Good much show. for joining us, Mark. We appreciate <laughs> you. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, dude. Uh, listen, Packer week, Bear week. We talk about it all the time, and then leading up to it, each side tells us, "Oh, this is a different week in the hallways." At what point, as a Packer, do you say, eh, <laughs> "All right, <laughs> like I'll get it up for you guys if you want me to," you know, in in, in public and whatever local remote and whatever car dealership you're at, or you know what I'm saying, like signing babies' foreheads in Green Bay, Wisconsin, <laughs> as they ride off on those free bikes from training camp, whatever the case may be. Like, at what point do y'all, as a group, say, "Hey, we gonna kick the shit out of them like we always do"? <laughs> well, I can speak for when I played, and we, you know, Erlocker and Briggs, we respected the heck out of that defense. Yeah. But the bottom line is, and I think this is still the case, we always knew we had that guy, and when you have that guy under center. You always – it doesn't matter if you're playing the Bears or whoever you're playing. You always felt it, but just it seemed like the Bears were always searching for that yeah. guy. Yeah. And we in our locker room always felt, you know, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard fought. But we know when the money's on the table, our guy at that position is going to be better than your guy, and that makes such a big difference in the NFL. That's always kind of been that attitude, and I think when – it really struck a nerve. I'm sure you saw it on your timeline oh. when Rodgers went down after scoring that touchdown. It struck a lot of nerve because it's pretty accurate. The yeah. last, as we just kind of went through, Rodgers Favre. It's been a pretty good run for Packer Nation against the Bears. Yeah, him, him, him saying "I own you." He said it three. He said it three times. Yeah. And apparently, it was muffled by the people who wanted to celebrate with him. By the way, I love the fact that Aaron is the only guy who who kind of separates himself and be like, "No, no, no, guys, I'm gonna celebrate on my own here with the discount double check and all the other stuff." And anybody else does it, it's like celebrate with your teammates. This dude said it three times and then looked at the crowd and said, "Hey, in case you didn't hear the last three, I still own you." I, it hurt my soul as a Bears fan, but like. Like I said in the opening segment, you respect it or check it. Like you gotta respect it if he's doing it every single time. What Aaron Rodgers? Um, the Tom Brady Aaron Rodgers conversation is always one that I bristle at because it's like you, you gotta have a damn good team to go to that many Super Bowls and win that many Super Bowls. I think if Aaron Rodgers with the New England Patriots quarterback and he had Bill Belichick in that front office and some of those Hall of Famers that 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 Tom Brady had, well, I won't even say Hall of Famers, but damn good players who they let go after a while. Guys like Willie McGinnis and Ty Law and you know Lawyer Malloy and Richard Seymour, like Aaron Rodgers. 
Aaron Rodgers, I think, is as good as any quarterback I've ever seen. And Dan Marino, John Elway, all those dudes, I compare him to that. But the Tom Brady stuff always comes up. What makes Aaron Rodgers as good as he is because you've seen it up close and personal? He's just so accurate with the football. And, you know, Tom Brady deserves all the credit he gets because he's delivered. But from a talent standpoint, and I've heard Tom Brady say this both when he's playing against Aaron or just in general, talent-wise, there's nobody that's able to put the ball. You know, he can get out of the pocket. His physical gifts, I don't know if there's another quarterback in the history of the league just physically with his arm strength and his accuracy, running, being able to throw on the run, he can do everything. And not many quarterbacks have been able to do that. And that's, I think, then you factor in how smart he is, how well he understands the game. That's why he's special. And I think that's what you're, I mean, that's why he's an irritant if you're on an opposing team, especially <laughs> somebody that you, you have to play against twice a year and you kind of get the feeling, God, I don't, you know, it almost, it brings out your insecurities. And I, so for him, he just, he is the full five tool guy as the quarterback. So I I host a show with Ryan Shazier and James Jones on Tuesdays here on The Ringer. And James Jones told me about what you guys used to do in practice and that it would come up in games every once in a while where you guys would literally be drawing stuff up in the dirt, messing around, and then it'll be a shot play right before a half or right at the end of a quarter where you, Aaron, and the rest of the guys were on the same page and nobody really knew what was going on, even maybe the coaching staff. Is that true? Like, were you guys drawing stuff up in the dirt and like trying things out in practice and then just popping it in, in, in the games? Well, let me tell you something. For, as an old lineman, we just block guys in front of us. <laughs> the receivers, the running backs, the tight ends, they're back there drawing stuff up. I know for sure when, uh, you know, the Jared Cook catch against the Cowboys and, you know, James will be able to tell you there's plenty of times those guys ad-libbed with back shoulders. Aaron understands what coverage and why he's so demanding of his guys as wide receivers because – he needs them to see the game the way he sees it so that mm-hmm. they can execute it. And that's why young players struggle. That's what you know why he wanted Randall Cobb back on this team is because he knows Randall Cobb's going to see it the way he sees it. And I think that's a big reason he's drawing stuff up. He knows what he wants to draw, what he, what he knows is going to work. Yeah. And I think sometimes he just likes showing off. Yeah. Oh, no. There, there is no sometimes about it. That man, he's one of those dudes who, like, he, he gets everything in the world and he's smart. And you're like, ah, <laughs> why can't why can't my genes work that way? 2008 Walter Payton, man of the year, uh, Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame, Super Bowl champion Mark Tauscher joining us here on the Full Goal Podcast with Jason Goff. Mark, this Bears team. Uh, and the teams that you went up against, you mentioned Erlacher, you mentioned Briggs. Obviously, you were going up against the defensive side of the football, and that's the side of the football that, that has been known throughout Bears history. Uh, when you're searching for that quarterback, time in and time out, you know, you get so many shots at it, whether it be Rex Grossman, Kyle Orton, you know, Jay Cutler, now with Justin Fields after the Andy Dalton era, I think has come to an end now. Uh, when that position isn't right, and you've seen many franchises that you guys have gone up against, when that position isn't right or there isn't the belief in that position or that position is being developed, what has to be sure in your infrastructure while you're trying to figure out that position, which is the most important position in sports? I mean, I think the Bears actually have done a really good job defensively. Their defense is always good. The problem is, and especially with the rules and how offense is so dominant now, your margin of error is just so small. 
you know, a couple of years, the double doink season, which seems like for, I'm sure for Bears fans 15 years ago, right? everything worked out perfectly that year. Close games, you found ways to win and you build off of that momentum. But it's just so hard to win that way consistently. And that's kind of what you guys are up against. And, you know, Erlocker and Briggs and, you know, Tommy Harris, there was such a great defense and you create turnovers, peanut Tillman knocking balls. You'd have to do that every week. You'd have to, you're asking your defense to do superhuman things week in and week out. And that wears on you. And then all of a sudden, eventually it kind of goes away and you, you just feel overburdened if your offense isn't holding up at its end of the, uh, the donkey. And that's kind of what we've seen. It's just so hard if you don't have that guy. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny because Alex and Lance and Olin actually do the football after show here locally. Uh, so they're on, you know, screaming about what happened the, you know, a couple of minutes before after every game, and we switch over to them, kind of like we used to do in this city with uh, uh, God rest his soul, Doug Buffon and Ed Obradovich on the radio side of things. And these dudes as defenders, right? Because Olin, like, he owns up to it. Like, hey, man, we didn't score a lot of points on the offensive side of the ball. These dudes say all the time, like, you got to score. You got If there's an opportunity, you have to score. And it's the only city. I've been to a few cities now and, you know, done some national work with not only you but other people. It's the only city that I hear defenders, whether it be present day or past, say you have to score on the defensive side of the football. Or special, you know, Devin Hester, special teams has to score. You know, a crazy man like Jakeem Grant who got hurt today, like that man is returning punts eight eight yards deep in the end zone or taking punts off the two-yard line because the, the impetus is on scoring. In this new NFL, where scoring and in, in, in the first segment I talked about it, like you got to be around 28, 30 a game if you're going to be any kind of playoff or Super Bowl contender. On the other side of that spectrum, how do you insulate and develop a young quarterback in a league that is begging you to score, right? Like how do you force feed just enough to, 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 to stretch that stomach out but not drown a kid? Yeah, it, it's a tough – it's a great question, and I think that's what they're trying to figure out. You, obviously, Fields is talented. You can't just sit – ask him to sit back five-step and just make reads, and you have to go through progressions. That's stuff that it takes time. Find out what he's really good at, and you know it's always easier if you have a running game and an offensive yeah. line that's really good. That's what you want to build around. You have a good – you have a good wide receiving core, but to just sit back and say – do five and seven step drops, go through your progressions. You're putting fields in a position to fail. You want to get him out of the pocket. You saw him make some plays with his legs today, but you want to make it easy for him. And the easy stuff is the play action pass, not putting him in a third and six, third and seven, where he's got to hold the football and go through the reads. That's all part of the progress. And you, you know, you hope that you don't, the, the tough part of that is you can suck somebody's confidence by having a lot of failure early, you're going to have failure, but you want to have some success to build off of it. And you hope that as a Bears fan, you hope that that's the, the pro, that's kind of the trajectory that he's on. What are some of the things that offensive linemen have to deal with when you have a young quarterback? I've talked to Olin about this and, you know, he's he notices when quarterbacks can and cannot check or have the autonomy to check. Or, you know, we used to <laughs> we used to make fun of it on the radio side, like, you know, the crazy pointing thing, you know, like identifying the mic and making sure that <laughs> the slide yeah. protection, you know, you, you're sliding into one side or the other. We've seen a lot of free runners in these first few starts when it comes to Justin Fields, because there's still things that he has to do. What what onus is on? 
on James Daniel and and Sam Mustafer and Cody White here and, and Jason Peters and the, that that like where you got a young guy behind you, you don't know how much of the playbook has been given to him, but you're also trying to gel as a unit. How much? How much? Uh, onus is on the offensive line and what what are some of the extra responsibilities that guys like yourself have to pick up when you got a young guy behind you yeah I mean I think there's a couple of things the the first thing and the biggest help you can do is be efficient running the football so that you're you know going to stay normal second and six and and you put your quarterback in that position but there's also things take a lot of the protection stuff off his plate you know with Olin or with any veteran center you've seen everything you understand where people are coming blitz wise don't put it on the young quarterback to try to have to go through all that. Kind of figure that out, work it out with your backs. And, you know, you know, obviously young quarterbacks have to understand and learn and know that. But yeah. you can, you know, with, with Josh Sitton and TJ Lang and some guards, the veteran guys will be up there and they're telling Rodgers, hey, this is what we're doing. That's, I think, the kind of leadership you want from veteran players. But the biggest thing you can do is be efficient and help get, you know, get that running game going. Because I don't care if you're Aaron Rodgers or if you're a young quarterback, third and 10 plus in this league is really tough uh, for everybody to get, be successful. So those are a couple of the things that I think a, a veteran O-line can help with a young player. You can hear him on the Packers Radio Network and the Badgers Radio Network. Mark Tosher joining us here on the Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff. Uh, <clears throat> talk to Lomas Brown about what linemen like to do. in turn Because we saw it a couple of games back where – you know, the Cleveland game where nine sacks, you got Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney out there on an island. It's hard for anybody, especially a 39-year-old Jason Peters, to keep up with guys like that. Uh, we Do we overplay how important the running game is? Because I go back and forth with football ideology of I like to keep it simple, especially when you got a young guy like this. You know, Khalil Herbert was able to run the ball before D David Montgomery got hurt. It seemed like Bill Lazor had kind of put the ball back into his hands a little bit. No matter how good or bad your offensive line is, what what is established or what can be established, not only with running the ball, but kind of trying to impose your will if you're not the best pass pro team? Well, I, yeah, I mean, you could be Jonathan Ogden in his prime. If you're asking him to go, you know, 60 snaps of all passes and they know it's coming, players are going to beat you. Now, if you can run the football, all of a sudden you can't just go, you know, Quinn and the guys, you want those guys to at least have to think that they have to take a false step to, you know, for a run play because they mm -hmm. have the gap integrity that they have to have. You want to be able to do that. It just makes your job easier than, you know, backpedaling. 50 times a game that puts a, a ton of pressure on you as an offensive lineman you love you know for me running keep passes where you're just running down the line and you're bringing guys with you and you let the quarterback bootleg out those are the things that will help the quarterback and as an o-lineman it helps you a ton because you also have a lot of responsibilities when it's just straight drop back pass the more you can run the football the more it puts anytime you can get the defensive lineman to have to think and not just react and go you're winning that rep. Yeah, I've worked with a lot of defensive linemen on the broadcast side of things, and the last thing you want them to do is have to think. No doubt about it. Uh, <laughs> shout out to my man, Anthony Glad Heron. you he's, said that, not me. <laughs> my guy, Anthony Heron. He's the only one that can string a sentence together of the defensive linemen that I know. And Alex Brown, by the way. The, 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 I found the two that can actually do it. No, shout out to all you guys. I hope I never see any of you in a dark alley. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Mark, you mentioned Erlacher, you mentioned Tillman, you mentioned Tommy Harris. <clears throat> Back in your day, uh, in in that in that offensive line meeting room, uh, 
when you watch tape of those old Bears defenses or those Bears defenses that we we, we loved, you know, in the the aughts, the early aughts, uh, what did the tape tell you about what kind of day you were getting ready to have when it became Bear Week? Uh, it was always physical. And I'll tell you what, Earl Ocker is a Hall of Fame player. And we always knew where he was. But I'm telling you, we would scheme and try to say, we're not letting Lance Briggs going to beat us. And I'm telling you, it would be every time we'd get by and be like, God, how did he have 16 tackles this week? It's just that was kind of the way those games went. And they played that Derek Brooks position, right? That weak side in the cover, too. Yeah, it, it just, he, you know, the, the defense was just so good. And then it was always ball security because, you know, everybody knows about Peanut Tillman and what he was. He is, you know, he has set a mark for everybody. And every time somebody punches a football out, it's, you know, the peanut punch. So yeah. you just knew. And the respect, I know from our end, we respected the heck because it was a constant chess match. We knew their checks. They knew our checks. And we had uh, Brian Urlacher on our show uh, on ESPN Wisconsin. And he was just saying, we just would run cover two. We knew what they were doing. They, they, would, they would mess with us. Favre yeah. Rogers would mess with them. And it just was fun, uh, the, the battle, because you play each other. And a lot of us stuck around. A lot of us were there eight, ten years. Right. You got to know the guys pretty well. Yeah, no doubt. I Hell, I got to know TJ Lang better than I ever thought I would by just tweeting at him as a Chicago, you know, host and producer. And all of a sudden we started going back and forth. So, no, it was, you know, the Packer Bears thing has always been more fun than hatred for me. Like, I, you know, I guess I'm in a different kind of sports fan in that way where I used to. I appreciate premium play, right? So when everybody hated the 49ers and Cowboys back in the day or the Packers when Favre was on that ridiculous run, like I was like, oh, this is kind of cool to watch it be done on this level. It sucks that it would happen to my favorite team, but you know, this is the city of Michael Jordan, right? So how many cities in, in, were in basketball hell for years knowing that they had Hall of Famers, yep. but it didn't make a damn bit of difference because they were going to end up losing to the Chicago Bulls? Um, for, for you – and the rides that you took, and, and that Super Bowl season especially, uh, when does a football team know that there's something special happening here? Is it in training camp? Is there a seminal moment in a game? Is there is there like, you know, triumphing over injury? Like for that Super Bowl uh, championship for you, when did you know? When did you know that this was a special season? Yeah, you know, so a bunch of us, I got injured in the early part of that season, and we had a bunch of injuries that year. But I think the moment, and it's kind of surprising, was we were up in Detroit. On, I don't know if it was a Thanksgiving Day game, but it was late. It was a November game, and Rodgers got knocked out with a concussion. And we had to go up to Foxborough the following week, and Aaron didn't play. But Matt Flynn led us up there, and we yeah. should have beaten the New England Patriots. It's still one of my favorite plays I've ever seen. It was against us, that offensive lineman with like an 80-yard kick return. I tipped the cap, you know, sitting on the sideline thinking, I don't know how the heck he's doing this, but, man, I respect the heck out of it. But we lost that game, but we gained a lot. And I think Aaron understood how important he was. That's when I really think he went from being a a really good NFL player to, man, they need me out there. I got to be smarter because he took a tough hit in that Detroit game. And I don't know if we lost another game the rest of that season. Obviously, the Bears came in, and I think they realized how good we were. And it was a dogfight. Once we got out of that game, I think it was 10 to 3, got in the playoffs, the confidence just kept growing and growing. And that I think so that was the moment that season. 
that I think was the differentiator in us, you know, being able to win a championship. Uh, There's visions of BJ Raji dancing that inappropriate dance in the in the end zone where after the pick six, you know, (laughs) fat guys running with the football. Caleb Haney, wherever you're at, I hope that moment haunts you for the rest of your life. But yeah, man, this is this. I thought this was going to be more therapeutic than it would be. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here worried about the Chicago Bears all over again after I told people not to worry about it. How are you feeling, though, man? How, how's, how's everything with you? I asked Lomas, you know, whenever I see offensive linemen, because I worked with Dan Jiggins for years, right, and, and Dan would tell me about all the things that were going on with his body and, you know, the big man, you know, I, I, I see him now every once in a while, and I'm like, yeah, that dude played NFL football for long enough that you could see that some of the things still creak and and still hurt on him. How are you feeling these days, dude? Yeah, I'm doing all right. I, I mean, obviously, I played 11 years and I had some knee stuff, some shoulder stuff. But I think all of us that play, man, if we can get around and still play golf and you know still be able to do stuff mentally, I'm still you know I think okay. <laughs> uh, I feel pretty good all all in for everything yeah. that I kind of have had gone on. I feel pretty doggone good. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. As we wrap it up, we appreciate your time here on this uh, Sunday afternoon slash evening. Um, best moment of your career, best day of your career, worst day of your career? Uh, worst day of my career, probably we lost the playoff game in Philadelphia, uh, the fourth and 26th game. That one still eats at me. Uh, best day was probably the first time I started the start, my first start at Lambeau back in the 2000 season. And that, I think just being able to, you know, as a seventh round draft pick, get to that spot in my career and have family and friends at the place that I grew up in Wisconsin. That was one of those moments that I'll never forget. All right. We put together a Spotify playlist of all our interviewees. What you listening to these days? Old, new, doesn't matter. What's uh, what's getting you going? I like the killers. The killers are kind of my band. Okay. All right. Any 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 songs you want to recommend to any of the people or any albums that you that you? I think I mean everything. Mr. Just, Bright, just, Mr. Just, Brightside. You know what? For Bear fans, everybody listening. Hey, it's not that bad. Pick up. Right. Go grab Mr. Brightside. Right. It'll it'll bring your day back up from what we just saw. All right, Mark. This is this is why <laughs> we didn't go on to Radio Glory after our short time in Bristol. We had the one show, man. We I'll did. never forget it. Hey, you should never forget it because everybody else damn sure did. So, <laughs> Mark, thank Great you kid. so much. For, appreciate you, brother. Thank you, man. All Be right. well. Thanks, Jason. You bet, man. See ya. <laughs> this is Seth Jones, and you're listening to the Full Goal Podcast with Jason Goff. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com. Hey, it's Len Casper, the radio voice of the White Sox. You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff. Welcome back to The Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff, brought to you by The Ringer. And, of course, Spotify is the game. We have uh, the pleasure of being joined by Mr. Brian Kenny. I've had a chance to talk to Brian Kenny a, a couple of times, but obviously this is the first time we've done it on The Full Go Podcast. And you can watch Brian host MLB Network's MLB Now weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. Plus, MLB Network's MLB Tonight is airing live before and after every postseason game. Mr. Kenny, thank you so much for giving us some of your time. How are you feeling today? 
good. You know, big days. These are these are. Uh, it really just hit now where there's like one game per day. I was getting used to three and four. That was a yeah. blast. But, you know, you can't have everything, but it's been fun. How do you feel about baseball's playoff format? I'm good with it. I think if you add a team, you'd still have good clubs. I think if you go much deeper than that, then you're getting mediocre teams. I think it's good where it's at. I loved last year's wild card round. That was a lot of fun. And that made sense. That made sense for a short season, have half the league make it. But I don't want to see half the league make the playoffs. I want to see the elite make the playoffs. I think we're right at that correct level where kind of that second wild card is good, but not great. Usually the first wild card is excellent. And everyone else is like a 93 win team. That's kind of the average. I like that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's crazy because as a, as a kid, I used to hear people uh, argue about balanced and unbalanced schedules, and that'd be like the, the, the soup du jour when it came to Major League Baseball discussions. And now it seems like just like the NFL, because the NFL for years has been like, all right, we're going to change the rules next year, and you're not going to do a damn thing because you got to watch it. It's the NFL. We own a couple of days of the week. Whereas with baseball, the, the evolution of change and just evolving has been slower, obviously. And then you get, a, uh, you know, in, in 10 years or so, you get, all right, this is the new change. This is the way we look at things. These are the numbers that really don't matter as much as they used to. What do you think the next uh, bubble or next window for baseball to take the next steps in whatever the evolution process is going to be? Where, where do you think that is at? I think it's, uh, they've talked about it for a number of years. I think the pandemic slowed it a bit, but. Their, uh, Major League Baseball has made it pretty clear they're going to add two more teams. And when you add the two more teams, I don't know if you just add one per league or if you make it one league, if you get away from divisions, if you go more geographical, or if you don't do National and American League anymore. I think that's the next big thing because that would be a natural time to say, let's play the balanced schedule that you brought up. And, you know, we'll have, uh, you know, we'll have 32 clubs and we'll be able to do it. I think that's the next big thing. I, I, I have lots of opinions on it, but I don't know what the right call is. I love National League and American League. And yet, um, if we were starting Major League Baseball today, there's no way we wouldn't have the Yankees and Mets playing each other and mm -hmm. the White Sox and the Cubs playing each other. The only reason we don't is because these leagues were separate in, you know, 1904. So what are we doing? You know, so I, I can see both sides. So the, the lowering or raising of the mound and robot umpires, we're, we're past those conversations? Oh, no. Look, I think <laughs> you're talking about immediate, the immediate thing. You know what I want to see? And you know what they did this year? 15-second pitch clock in low A ball. We spoke to Rico Bronia, who was managing Stockton in low A ball. Remember Rico Bronia? Yeah. And Rico said it was fantastic. He said the players even liked it. You know, because we're, well, we're all the players won't like you got to move fast. No, 15 seconds is it's moving. And he said it was great. And it clipped 21 minutes off the time of a game right away. Wow. And even better than that, the pace was good. Like, I have one thing to tell you. I haven't even had a chance to put it on the air because there's been so much breaking news. But you remember watching Hunter Strickland? He was pitching against, I think it was uh, Rosario of the Braves. It was a big mm -hmm. spot. And my wife is there watching the game. She's like, this guy's taking forever. I go, yeah, everybody does that. She goes, no, 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 this guy's taking forever. I said, all right, let me time it. Hunter Strickland in the in the sequence to Eddie Rosario took one minute and five seconds between pitches. <laughs> 105. Now, he asked for a ball back at one point, but okay, right. 50. With, even with asking the ball back and rubbing it up, 
50 seconds, 5-0. How about 15 seconds? That, mm. I think, get the pitch clock, please. We'll all like it. We'll all like it. Everybody's not for, you know, Gen Z. It's not for attention deficit disorder. It's like this is where they played in the 1950s. Right. 15 right. seconds, throw the ball. You know, it's, it's funny because I talked to my guy Clinton Yates from ESPN about baseball things, right? And, you know, he, he brought up a point a couple of years ago, and we were talking about Javi Baez, and he's like, you know, the, the issue that a lot of baseball fans or casual baseball fans might have is the routine – uh, is the spectacular now where back in the day where it was like Ray Ordonez was doing crazy stuff. And of course, Ozzie Smith was doing crazy stuff. Like the athleticism of the game right now is when you see a double play turn nowadays, it's like, oh yeah, that was supposed to happen. But the, the intricacies, maybe the camera angles or whatever the case may be, like the little things that, that accentuate, like for instance, tapping the toes at the sideline for a wide receiver back when Chris Carter was doing it, it was like yo there's not a few there's not a lot of guys doing that these days but now when you in present day if you're a fourth wide receiver on a on a depth chart you better be able to dot those eyes right before you fall out of bounds while catching a pass that only you can catch do you think that there is something lost in the translation of the TV product of baseball that doesn't accentuate maybe the athleticism that other sports do possibly you know, um, you can get into a deep conversation on this because, look, they've long said that about what sport? Hockey was the main <laughs> one. That is better in person than on TV. And, you know, there's different ways of broadcasting it, but I don't know if we're getting it wrong. I'll give you an example. Like, uh, do you remember that Tommy LaStella, Brandon Crawford double play earlier in the in the playoffs? Yes. Yes, yes. LaStella yes. wandered with his glove, just flipped it up in the flipped air. It, yeah. Crawford stepping through, boom, double play. And it was like, so did I just see that? Right. And yeah, like I, I think there's fantastic things. It's the nature of the sport, though, that there's not going to be it's not a spectacle. It's not going to be one thing after another. You've got to kind of wait for it. Mm -hmm. It's the nature of baseball. I don't know if there's a different way of televising it. And you're probably right. Look, uh, basketball looks different. Football looks different on TV and boxing looks different on TV. Um, so it's it's just going to be different. But I know yeah, we do get used to this high level of athleticism. Um you know, I know we do a thing on MLB Network. I think it's like top 50 plays. And I'll freak, I'll just, you know, I'm, I just have the TV on in the background. I'm not really paying attention. I'll look up and I'll go, oh my God, like what a play. That's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like that. It's like number 33. I'm like, 33? Like right. 33? Right. Like again, when it was Johnny Bench and the baseball bunch, it'd be number three. You know, like 33? So there's so many great plays being made out there. Now you're, I think it's just, it's an avalanche of, video information there's only so much mm -hmm. you can take in yeah you know and the, the other part of it is like because i i've long wondered how we get younger kids and not just younger kids but younger black kids into not the sport uh and, and here in the city of chicago we got jackie robinson west who had their run a few years back that the the nation you know gathered around and then all of a sudden because of zoning issues and all the other stuff the the, the pageantry and the the romanticism of that was kind of lost but you know in, in in watching it and understanding better the numbers part and the, the 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 analytical part of it like you were one of the first guys nationally that I gravitated to to 
not just bring me from the dark ages of baseball because that's what I was born in, but also make it palatable. Jason Benetti and Steve Stone do a terrific job here in the city of Sox math and all the other stuff that, you know, presenting to you instead of the averages, this is what their road OPS is from the lineup and, and, and making it, you know, now OPS plus and all the other things that you have to keep up with. Uh, not just the deluge of numbers, but how do you, how do you feel the younger generation is gravitating towards the the empirical data that you just can't argue against like arguing with feel and arguing with 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 stuff. like it's kind of like google right there, there's no question that can't be answered now but sometimes you wanted to find out what a person's multi-layered feelings on a subject are how do you think the new wave the new generation of baseball fans has been ushered in and have they lost anything in terms of the arguments that they can't have because you can just find a number that can quantify how good a player is well there's there's different arguments Right. Uh, there's different um, because there's always going to be, uh, you know, numbers. Uh, data is an abstraction of the real world. It's not the real world. It's an, abs- it's an abstraction and it can answer a lot of things. What I enjoy now about most of my baseball debates, as opposed to 10 years ago, is that we're not arguing about simple things. We're right. speaking the same language. You and I now would speak the same language. And yet we would still get into a point where I'd say, I just like this guy. Like, I think this guy is a winner. And you'll say, this guy, I don't care what you say. This guy knows how to win. TWTW, that's the will to win. <laughs> I think, right, along those lines, I've come a long way on this, too. Even now that we're all speaking the same language and we're not just talking about, you know, grit and guts and what's his batting average. Now we can talk about, okay, is there something that we're not quite quantifying with this player that makes him a winner? Is there something that we that we're not figuring out about like, why are the San Francisco Giants win 107 games? Mm. Uh, why are the Rays winning 100 games? Last year, going 40 and 20 when they had a very light offense. This year was more obvious why the Rays were winning. But I love it when teams are better than we think and we can't quite figure it out. And I love it when players, we, we, you know, we like the cut of their jib. That's my I throw a cut of jib index. And I'll say, look, Chase Utley, for example, cut oh. of jib high. And the guy's a winner. Now, a lot of times, like, well, what am I talking about? Uh, you know, in the old days, well, I don't care. That guy's just a winner. Like, maybe it was Pete Rose or Joe Morgan. Right. But a lot of times it is. It's like, no, no, no. There are things you can look at. Like, is it his base running that appeals to you? His fielding at a defensive position? Or Max Muncy now that he plays multiple positions. And even though he's a big roly-poly guy, he's actually an excellent base runner. So I think a lot of the – it's just the language that has changed where now we can try to answer those questions. But it, there's still something, again, our inner computer might see something that we haven't quite found the language for. And it, then it comes out that I just like this guy. This guy's a winner. And it's I don't dismiss that anymore. I often think, all right, what is it that you're seeing or that your inner computer is seeing that you like about this guy or this team? All right, tell me what your inner computer is seeing when it comes to the Chicago White Sox. Uh, you know, I, I, was, I was telling A.J. Pruszynski this my head was with the Houston Astros. They're just they're just a better team. Uh, but, of course, my heart was with the Chicago White Sox. Grew up 
liking that team, loving that team. And, of course, you know, during the 90s, had some good moments. And then, you know, 05 happens and then the rebuild and Kenny Williams gets kicked up, Rick Hahn gets the gig. And for a long time I was telling people, hey, 2019, 2020 is when you should expect it. You know, this is going to be some lean years here, but this is when it's happening. Then they got their first bite of the apple as a group last year during the pandemic and truncated season. Now you get a whole season where you run roughshod over the AL Central and you're trying to figure out – did, did your competition really get you ready? I'm not panicking about this squad. The Tony La Russa um, aspect of it I think is interesting because, you know, there's some managerial mistakes made during this Houston Astros series, but at the same time, I think the Astros were just the better team. If you were to speak to White Sox fans like you're speaking right now, uh, what would you tell them about this squad, not just in the present but for the future? It's a very good team. They're very exciting. Sometimes it doesn't work out. In the playoffs, they got outplayed and out hit in this series. Uh, there, I'd have a little bit of concern about that, that they look like less of the some of their parts. Yeah. Uh, but it's not like it's like it's a losing effort. Uh, their young players are outstanding. Uh, their, their young core is just is great. I like, too, that they have a very diverse attack and that they've got a very, uh, you know, personality laden club. I like that, that they're active and there's like different human beings there that kind of get after it. I like the club a lot. Like I, I would often say like, what, what, what team would you want to take over? Um, and mm-hmm. like, even now, like the Padres, right. They just failed. Right. It just, they didn't even make the playoffs. And yet the future is pretty good for the Padres white Sox. The future is very good. And the future is kind of more now. Um, and, and it's, and it's happening. So yeah, disappointment, but there's a real talent base there uh, that you got to dig. The only, you know, the main issue is, rotation was good in the regular season, not good in the playoffs. Is their stuff good enough? Do you have to even get better there? And the fact that, you know, Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu are not young guys now and that you want to get it in their window because they kind of add, you know, you know, Jimenez and Robert, fantastic. But, you, you know, it's not just you can't just build on two guys. You right. need a ton. And so while you have your old guys still excellent, Abreu, the mature guys and Anderson, you, you need to capitalize uh, on them before they kind of age out of that window. I'm interested to see whether Michael Kopech will have the same role he had this year or if he's going to be a starter or if he's going to be more of a late reliever because his stuff, you know, I think I think we saw him with no rest and his stuff wasn't as uh, popping as we did the first appearance. But I, I'm looking forward to seeing that guy realize his, his, uh, his potential, whatever it is. Um, the, I want to talk to you about 1985. 19, let's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's take it back to 1985. When, wow. Oh, good. You know, I'm in college. Yeah, I was about to say, a, 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 a young Brian Kinney uh, is, is, is making his way to, what was it, WLIG TV 55, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah. yeah well, I was in 85, yeah. <laughs> Reporter, and then all of a sudden, you, you skyrocket up the ranks to become the sports director, and then a year later, you bail on that so you can go for bigger and better and being a sports director at the other station. I, was, I believe it was uh, WTZA, if PZA, I'm not mistaken. Upstate yeah. New York, good for you. You got the, when, you got the correct bio information. Yes, sir. So uh, when, did you, when did you know that this is what you wanted to do? I always... I always try to pick the mind of the people that we're on with, not just to talk about the sports that they cover or what they're doing, but like, you know, I I knew that this is what I wanted to do radio wise when I was 11 years old. And I used to tell my mom this all the time. Like, I just, I want to be in radio. When did you know that this was the, 
the uh, career path that you were going to take? Um, it hit me when I, 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 I was at St. John's University and then I transferred to Long Island Institute, uh, uh, New York Institute of Technology on Long Island and New York Tech. Should get the name right. I graduated from there, um, <laughs> and they had a thing called. I got confused. They had a, 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 a fifteen-minute newscast called "Li News Tonight," uh-huh. and there, as a student, suddenly you were going out, putting on a little, you know, suit and tie, and having my dad tie my ties for me because I didn't know how, <laughs> and going out and doing stories. Also, you know, shooting with the camera, carrying the deck. There was a deck back then, kids, and to carry the sound deck. Yes, sir. Heavy. You don't remember that, do you? It was heavy. Nah, hey, listen, I was I was cutting tape with a grease pen and the, the two eight tracks, and you know, so the, I'm a little bit before the digital age, but not not so much. But we had eight tracks too. We had to carry the eight track machine, so you know, I, I'm kind of with you. There. <laughs> I didn't I didn't go back. You know what? I just missed film. Like again, my wife worked in the news business. She said we were in film. I was like, we didn't oh. have film. We had videotape. Thank God. But anyway, I knew pretty early that this is exciting. Uh, again, given my upbringing, I wasn't thinking I'm going to be, you know, everyone now is going to be an actor, producer, songwriter, you know, uh, (laughs) you know, rapper, everything. Yeah. Everyone can do it. Uh, At the time it was like, no, I'm going to get a job. I need a job, but boy, it'd be nice to be in a creative business. So rather than, you know, go and try to be on Broadway or something, um, you know, it was either that or be, my father was a New York NYPD detective. Uh, I come from a family of, of NYPD cops and detectives. So I was like taking the tests. I was going to do that. But I was like, well, I'm going to give it a shot and try to work in television. And it seemed attainable to be a television reporter. You know, what my dream was, was I'm going to make documentaries. I'll be make movies. Um, and I can do that. I can piece these things together. I know I'm strong in these areas. And in, um, you know, in, in English and in history, uh, mm-hmm. literature, I know I can put things together. And you're going to be Brian Ken Burns. <laughs> right. I, well, that's what I thought. That, that's kind of like the lofty goal. But all right. What's realistic? It's 1985. I'm Brian Kenny on Long Island. What, what am I doing? What can I get paid for? Got to get paid. Uh, even back then, it was you got to run DMC was singing it. Get yes. paid. Gotta yes, get sir. Paid. And so I thought. This is attainable. I was doing news reports. I was a news reporter at LI News Tonight at New York Tech. And I thought, I can do this. And that's when I slowly, those years started to build up. I wasn't thinking of sports. I was a sports fan all my life. But I really was uh, looking to do news. And only when there was an opening on our sports desk at WLIG Channel 55 out in Ridge, Long Island, the boondocks, only then did I think, okay, I have a chance to go you know, get on the anchor desk, which in the level, the hierarchy of local news, it's still the same. You can be out in the street doing crime and doing, um, you know, landfill stories in the middle of the summer, or you can be on the news desk and be one of the bosses. So I thought, even though I'm 22 years old, let me give, let me try to get better at TV since I thought I was a good reporter, but I knew I wasn't a good performer. And I thought, let me go try to do sports and get on the anchor desk, and this will help me. And uh, once I got there, um, I realized very quickly, wow, when I go to do a story for as a sportscaster, people are happy to see me. When I went to do it as a reporter, people did not like seeing me. You know, it was always bad news when a camera's coming. Right, right. As a sportscaster, it was like, this is terrific. Uh, people like to see me. This is fun. I can kind of talk about local kids and high schools and things like that. Cause that's what you're doing in local sports. So that's where it started for me. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. So, if not not including this job that you currently are doing, but what's what's the most fun you've had in broadcasting? It's probably doing what I'm doing now. I mean, I have my own show that I can write baseball essays on whatever interests me on MLB Now, so I can take it any direction. I can I can just go. Uh, I can talk about the Rays. Why are they winning? I can talk about. Let's go back to Willie Mays versus Maury Wills, 1962. I can talk about history. Um, or I can, you know, look at my all MLB now team uh, and, you know, look at the most versatile players in the game. Anything that interests me, I could write about. And then I go do boxing, you know, like once a month, I'll go do a big fight. I just called Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder. Yeah. That was a, that was a blast. Uh, so, you know, I've always loved, I've loved boxing too. I go way back with boxing. So I, I don't know, this is kind of perfect. When I think about what's my career path, take it easy. I'm, I'm here now. I'm enjoying it. This is another reason why I always gravitated towards your work. My grandfather, uh, you know, was a manager at the Westin Hotel in the 80s and he, he, well, he retired in the early 90s. So, you know, a whole bunch of pictures because Chicago used to be a boxing hub. Uh, still is. Has, still has a pretty, you know, pretty active boxing scene, actually. Uh, but, you know, pictures of him with Sugar Ray Robinson and guys like that where he would sit me down and we'd watch old fights and he'd talk about the the art of fighting. And when Mike Tyson came along, he's like, I like Mike Tyson. He's a warrior. But, you know, take a look at Jack Dempsey before you watch Mike Tyson, that kind of vibe. Uh, you know, the, the Fury Wilder fight, he's never going to be able to beat that guy, is he? And, and it's funny because there's certain times where you're like, yeah, I just don't understand the matchup or why he can't get over the hump. But it's, you know, some dudes are just better fighters and obviously styles make, fighter, make fights. Tyson Fury is just a better fighter than Deontay Wilder. And Deontay Wilder probably has run up against more talented guys. But for whatever reason, Tyson Fury has taken advantage of all of Deontay Wilder's weaknesses all while being able to hold, you know, hold his hold his chin up while taking some tough punches. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it comes down to the, the first time I saw Wilder and Fury in the first fight. I was watching on TV. Within a within thirty seconds, I thought, "Oh, this is a guy who started boxing at nineteen. This is a guy who started boxing, you know, as soon as he could walk." Right. He's been fighting all his life. <laughs> Tyson Fury rolling, as I said, rolling out of the bassinet. The guy was throwing punches, right? It's their culture. You know, they're, they're yeah, Irish the travelers. Their culture. Yeah. They're fighting. They're fighting. They're boxing. So he boxes naturally. You know, he just wakes up in the morning, starts throwing punches and moving his head. Just natural. So I think Wilder has the power to erase most everybody. But Fury has that combination of outstanding boxer. He's also 270-something pounds, so he can absorb a little bit more. And he just fights naturally. Again, to have the experience and the wherewithal to be dropped, now it's four times by Deontay Wilder, and get up every single time. When the world is swirling around you, people are screaming, your head hurts. Maybe you saw some black lights. You don't know where you are. You look up in the air. He was out that, for that second knockdown in the first fight. To have the wherewithal to open your eyes listen to the count and say, I'm okay, and get back up. It takes a lot of experience and 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 fortitude mm -hmm. to do that. So yeah, what Wilder has been unable to beat that guy. So it's not even style, it's or a style matchup, which you're right, styles do make fights, but it's uh it's it's just more than that. More experienced guy and a guy really tough and experienced, whereas Luis Ortiz didn't have a choice. His lights went out. 
Fury's lights don't get don't go out even when he gets hit with the best wilder shot. So I'll ask you this, as, as a guy who covers both boxing and, and baseball, you know, it's always funny to me, not funny, but it's interesting to watch prospects, you know, come up and evolve and like, okay, I thought this guy would be good. And then he, he turned out to be good. I'll never forget when the, the Jose Cruz Jr. conversation was happening when Randy Johnson was on the trade block. He's like, you can't give up Jose Cruz Jr. And I'm like, eh, you know, hopefully he'll be great, but this is an all-time pitcher that you're going to acquire here. It, it, baseball, basketball seems like you know who the prospects are and then you kind of whatever the expectation level it is you you either fall below it or raise above it but in boxing it seems like you know uh, like for instance I remember when Andre Berto started and it's like okay did did he fulfill those that potential you know unfortunate situation with Paul Williams when I'm like this dude is going to be the next thing and then obviously the motorcycle accident happens is boxing a sport where we we're hearing about a prospect because we know he's going to be what he's supposed to be, or do we see the same fall off in terms of, okay, prospect, and he didn't quite cap out his potential? Uh, I think uh, boxing and baseball have a lot in common. They're um, craft sports. You know, they're, it's a craft. It's not ju- it's a craft. It's a skill. It's not just a physical uh, test. So, uh, there's a, a lot of nuances, and I think that lends itself to a large, you know, learning curve. Even when you turn pro, mm-hmm. um, the top, you know, prospects that you'll see in boxing, the guys who win world championships at the amateur level, they be on the by and large, they become world champions at the professional level because the skill is there. To have the skill to win a world amateur championship, and as we've seen, experience is everything. You have a lot of these guys now from Eastern Europe, 300 amateur fights, 400 amateur fights. That That's the old days that, you, you know, your dad and your granddad were talking about. Yeah. Because that's got Sugar Ray Robinson, these guys, they weren't fighting once every six months. They were fighting every day in the gym and then every two weeks as professionals. So these guys that come over, even with Triple G, guys like that, Lomachenko, and the guys got 400 amateur fights, they look different, don't they? So a lot of it comes down to that, where it's not just your physicality that you're overwhelming guys because you're just a better athlete, but the, the experience you have in the ring is vitally important. So like baseball, you know, when you are a prospect, your athleticism, your superior physicality will still take you up a lot of the way, but not all the way. You got to prove it second by second, whether it's in baseball, pitch by pitch or punch by punch or slipping punches or feeling it when you're in the ring and having that rhythm. Who are you, Who are you excited, excited to, to watch, watch these, these days get into the, the ring. ring? Oh, I, you know, I still love Canelo. You know, Canelo is, is the number one fighter in the sport. There's a guy uh, by the name of Julio Cesar Martinez, who you probably haven't heard of, who is uh, a, a, a great fighter at 115 pounds, who okay. is a righty and lefty. And I think is like the, the closest thing to the matrix uh, in the ring. Actually, can switch you know how some guys switch you know switch they go stance? Stance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then they switch stance to you know now i'm a lefty this guy mid combination will switch so wow. that 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 gets my attention um you know so like I, I like the guys who are at the very top of the sport um and but you know you know canelo is at the very top now i'm excited for canelo and plant you know fight the best guys look i'd love to see spence and crawford i'm excited to see crawford and porter you just want to see the top guys fight there's great fighters right now uh, walking this planet, truly great fighters. Um, and I just, the way the business has, has been, 
They're not getting in there with each other. Whenever you have the top guys get in, great things happen. We saw it last Saturday night. You know, again, Wilder Fury didn't have to happen. Joshua Wilder never happened. Joshua Fury may never happen. Now, you know, Joshua, by the way, I love watching Joshua, Anthony Joshua. But look, they don't make those fights when they're right. But it's like, next thing you know, they go yeah. away. Yeah. No doubt about it. All right, back to the baseball thing as we wrap it up here with you. What uh, what are some of the the stories that you're keeping an eye on? What interests you right now outside of the norm, or is it just playoff time and everything is is bubbling? I'll say this. Here is my theme, and you can run with this. Okay, I will. Because <laughs> this is uh, post sabermetric, post analytics. What I saw this year, doing MLB now most every day, trying to figure out what's happening, is. A bunch of teams this year were more than the sum of their parts. Mm. And think about it. The Giants, we thought they'd win 70, 80 games. They won 107. We thought the Rays would be good, but the Rays are a powerhouse again. This is the, you know, the golden era of the Rays. They won 100 right. games. They're not that good. And the Mariners, did you watch the Mariners at all? Like the Mariners, like, shouldn't be that good. But if you and I sat there and watched them for a series – we come away saying, that's a real team. And why is that? So that's kind of my theme. There are teams that, look, the Mets, when they had everybody injured, yeah. were more than the sum of their parts. They got everybody back, and they, they fell out of first place. Well, they lost to Grom, I know. But um, what is that? Um, uh, used to be called by the old boys chemistry, right? But mm -hmm. what is that? I, I'll call it alchemy because it's a higher level. Like, what is that mix that, that leads you to winning? Um, and... There's something that happened beyond a team like, you know, the Dodgers do it great, of course. They're very smart, have a lot of money. Great farm team. They're, they're, up, they're clicking on all cylinders. But there were a few other teams that you, that were, that you had to say, hey, why are these guys so good? There's something we don't quite understand. And I think that's the most fascinating thing I saw this year. Yeah, man, it's it's uh, the, the architects around Major League Baseball is intriguing to me every single year. You know how how different each one has to go about their business because of market size and whatever talent and contract control they have currently and what they have to be looking at in terms of a calendar. And when Theo Epstein hung it up here in Chicago and you look back and say, you know, maybe baseball has to go in a different direction. I'm like, wait a minute, you you, you kind of helped usher in this direction. Now, all of a sudden it needs to change. It's all cyclical, right? So it's uh, it's interesting, and and Brian, we'll be watching. Thank you so much, man. I truly, truly appreciate your work. I think you're one of the greats doing this, and have been for a very, very long time. And I appreciate you blessing the podcast, brother. I appreciate that. That's very nice, and thanks for taking me back uh, to to Long Island. <laughs> we we all need to go to Long Island. Yeah, we know we all need to go to Long Island every once in a while. Brian, thank you so much. That's Brian Kitty joining us here on the Full Go Podcast with Jason Golf. Commercial. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Connect with the show 24-7 on the full gold voicemail line. Hit us up at 773-359-3103. That's 773-359-3103.
All right, guys, it's time for a segment that I used to look forward to on Football Sundays, and now we just hear the souls of men and women leaving just one sigh at a time. It is our favorite segment. It is the voicemail segment. Tanny, let's fire it up. Yo, Jason, what's up, man? Just watch Aaron Rodgers do that. Jake from State Farm, double clutch, belt motion shit. <laughs> Fuck him. <laughs> Damn, man, the beer sucks. Ryan Pace. Has to invest in this team or just fire that fool, bro, for real, and get someone in that can actually get some stuff done for the city and get us a fucking championship, man. Seriously, holy crap. I'm just watching this guy steal off one of our players, dude. Woo! This is crazy. But one love. Take care, man. Bears need a better GM, man. Take care. Ah, sounds like the vibes are flowing at that house. And uh, yeah, he gave us three F-bombs and, and, a, and a couple of uncomfortable laughs. Sounds like a voicemail to me. All right, Tanny, what else we got? My dude, golf, what's up, man? This is Papa E. Michael from Florida. I was born and raised in Chicago, but I'm in Florida now. Man, first I need that Cody Whitehead to get stronger. Get your ass in the fucking weight room, man. Like, it's, it's so easy. And two, Justin, got to learn how to get rid of the ball. Every play, this guy needs to be a big play. My brother, you got time. You're a rookie. Calm down. Take it easy. Don't let number 12 own you because, like he said, he still owns us. All right, now y'all be easy. You know, I'm glad you mentioned this because I didn't get to this in the open. Cody Whitehair got destroyed today. Like, I know Kenny Clark is an outstanding player. He's, what, $60, $70 million in the bank. But, damn, that was that was tough. That was tough because, you know, Jason Peters over there like, hey, man, don't, don't anger him. Like, you better let him through because he's going to stunt one time or there's going to be a tackle in stunt. And all of a sudden, I'm going to have to deal with that angry man. But, nah, man, Kenny Clark got busy. And I also forgot to mention this at the top of the show. Man, Mario Edwards, like, dog, I understand he, he hit you and he grabbed your face mask. That is one of the faces of the league. It ain't fair, but them's the rules. You can't you can't taunt Aaron Rodgers. This is three personal foul penalties in the last two games. Like, I don't know if he was back out there after that. I, I saw a lot of Travis Gibson out there and, you know, in his normal rotation. I don't know if he got more snaps than usual, but Mar- and that's the other thing. Mario Edwards Jr. in the game that he got two personal fouls a game ago actually played well. But you cannot continue to have personal fouls. The margin for error is too thin, especially against a team like the Packers, especially against a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. You cannot give them real estate. You cannot give them a free set of downs. And that's exactly what Mario Edwards has been doing over the last couple of games. And, yes, Cody Whitehead did not have his best game. Um, I still... I still wonder if the back and forth between Cody White here in terms of center and guard has affected that dude's career a little bit more than we'd like to uh, give credit to because I think he's a good football player. He just went up against a better one today who had a better game. But like Alex Brown also said, guy could play 60 snaps, and if he beat you twice, then he had a great game. All right, well, that means Kenny Clark had a great game. What else we got, Tanny? Hey, Jason. It's Dominic from Logan Square. Uh, you know, I'm not as negative about what happened during the game. Uh, I feel like once we get some consistent quarterback play uh, from a guy who's, you know, this is his first year in the league, you know, he's going to make mistakes. He's going to hold on the ball too long like he did. He's going to throw a ball for grabs, even though one was offside. So he got a free play out of it, should have got a free play out of it. Um, it's frustrating. 
Uh, it's just annoying to see Rogers do it again to us. But, you know, at the end of the day, at least I'll uh, show up at a grandparent's funeral, unlike him. All right, thanks, Jay. Bye. <laughs> Yo, Tanny, this this is trending in a direction. All right, that was the last one. This, <laughs> uh, Mercifully, yeah. That was yeah, 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 yeah. Bears fans. Hey, y'all. Uh, tomorrow, sun's going to shine, right? If you got a gig, hopefully you'll be allowed at it. Uh, you know, you can you can pick up a new hobby uh, starting on Monday, right? Maybe you're listening to this on Monday and you're like, oh, I don't uh, – let this be the end, right? Let this be the, 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 the shutting of the page or closing of the book for how bad this loss feels until the next one. Until the next one. I believe what? It's some, what, third week, second week in December. Next time these two teams face off and it'll be in Lambeau. Yeah, it's tough. You know, you you want to see this team go up against the 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 hated rival Packers, but man, it, it ain't no rivalry. The, the hammer and the nail cliche, whatever you want, this ain't no rivalry right now. And if it was as important as the McCaskies say it is, then your man Matt Nagy is now one and six, looking like he's about to be one and seven against those Green Bay Packers. So. The offense ain't no damn good. The defense didn't step up in moments where you needed them to down the stretch when you needed a stop. Uh, and you've got a couple of things that you can be happy about in terms of the evaluation of the quarterback who can sling that thing. You just got to get rid of that thing a little bit. And on top of it, I'm still not seeing enough for me, at least uh, some moving movement of the pocket. And I don't know if that's just a scheme specific thing that they don't really get into, or if uh, Bill Lazor is out here, you know, morphing into Matt Nagy each game, but I, I need to see this young man out on the perimeter a little bit more, pick up a few more first downs with your legs. Uh, that would be best, but yeah, Bears fans. Uh, I don't know what to tell you other than we've been here before and we'll get through it. And Go Chicago, Scott. Coming up on the next episode of The Full Goal with Jason Goff. All right, it's time for us to wrap up this episode of The Full Goal Podcast with Jason Goff. I, I definitely want to grant more time to the Chicago Sky. Congratulations to the Sky for winning the WNBA championship 80-74 to over the Phoenix Mercury. They stomped them in the wine three games in the uh, three games to one I should say. Uh, Allie Quigley had herself a terrific game. She had the uh, she had the, the the Johnny Blaze going from the uh, from the arc, and of course Candace Parker. Right, she came back to the crib to win herself a championship and bring a championship to Chicago. So she she pretty much did her LeBron to Cleveland thing. Right, she did what she was supposed to do. Mission completed. Uh, shout out to James Wade. Shout out to everybody in that front office and PR staff. And, hey, man, the Chicago Sky have been around this city for a while. And traction over the years has steadily climbed. And they've been gaining a lot of steam. And, of course, when Wintrust Arena was built, they would have a centralized location for people to come and see them. And that's what happened. They, I can't tell you how many times my, my buddy Myron and his brother E uh, would, would – go to sky games this year because it wasn't just you know something to do it was actually an event out there and then of course all the bulls have been showing up over the last couple of weeks you had cappy pond dexter and, and tamara uh anderson out there so it, it's been um it's been cool to watch it's been really fun to watch and i'm looking forward to if we can getting james wade on this show because he definitely definitely deserves all the credit for being not all the credit obviously but he deserves some credit for being uh, a, a championship winning head coach in this city right i mean you can put him there with coach q and 
and uh, and and of course Ozzy Gein and all the other people who have won championships in our lifetime. Phil Jackson, you know, is, is hollow ground. Obviously, you know, six six rings is different. But shout out to James Wade. Shout out to Chicago Sky. Looking forward to talking to some of those ladies and definitely talking to James Wade right here on the Full Gold Podcast. This was um, this was fun to see the city kind of wrap itself in all that good feeling and all those good vibes, even though the Bears are stinking it up and the Blackhawks keep getting their asses handed to them. So we got something to look forward to, right, coming into next season, obviously here, right here on the Full Gold Podcast. We'll be back Tuesday night when we'll be joined by Vinny Goodwill, good friend of mine and a dude who knows his basketball. Talk to Vinny about what he's got going on and also the NBA upcoming season and and make sure you're calling and texting with your thoughts on anything to the hotline at 773-359-3103 that's 773-359-3103 want to thank our guest Brian Kenny from MLB Network and also Mark Tauscher uh, former Green Bay Packer I want to thank Chris Tannehill, as always, for producing the show and making it sound as good as he possibly can. also want to thank my son for lifting my spirits with a spirited rendition of Bear Down. So until next time, thank you so much. Make sure you're downloading. Make sure you're sharing. Make sure you're writing those reviews. You always know what it is. This is the Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff, brought to you by The Ringer. And, of course, Spotify is the gang. As always, take care of each other and be safe. Thank you for listening to my daddy. It's the Full Go There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more.